Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. This is the post-Scott Frost hiring edition. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson. How are you guys doing in this post-Scott Frost Nebraska coach world? Mainlining caffeine. How are you doing? That's how you live every day. So More caffeine. <laughs> All the caffeine. Why did it get so cold outside? I thought it was going to be like 75 and partly cloudy every day of the Scott Frost era. Did you think he'd bring the uh, the Florida weather with I him? I sort of thought that was part of the deal. I think a lot of people did yesterday. That's why there was so much excitement. Well, the honeymoon's over, I guess. It's now dark and dreary, and winter is set in. And what about that defensive coordinator? <laughs> <laughs> what well, about him? He got a uh, pretty substantial raise, he Brian. He did. There's some uh, salary info. I should look at it. Chenander got 800000 which is basically Bob Diaco money. Uh, Diaco was making 825 and was going to get 875 this year. I guess they still owe him that. Um, so he's in that ballpark. You know, the, the pot of money for the assistants is going to go up to $5 million. That counts 10 assistants and the strength coach. To show you the difference between Nebraska and UCF, Chenander was their highest paid guy on the assistants, and he was making 425. And Nebraska's got three new position coaches who are now making 475 at Nebraska. So, um, you know, we talk about all these reasons why a guy's going to come to Nebraska over Central Florida. Well, he wants to help out his buddies, too. And those guys just, they got a massive raise. That extra $400,000 you're pulling in a year can buy a lot of coats to deal with that cold. Yeah, you can handle a few uh, 28-degree days. <laughs> and uh, I would say the cost of living difference from Orlando to Lincoln should make that $800,000 stretch just a bit further. The, yeah. uh, I mean, the one downfall is, is you are farther away from Miller's Ale House on uh, International Boulevard in Orlando. Shout out to Miller's. Um, but that's about the only one I could see. Is your dream scenario at some point that uh, – we're doing this podcast live at Miller's <laughs> on International Boulevard on a Saturday night while a... Uh, Only if it's UFC night. Yeah, a UFC fight is going on in the background. Yeah, I've, uh, I think, Brian, you you spent a couple of years there. Uh, you were there for a year, uh, Schaefer, at uh, Miller's. I got my Miller's stripes. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not as uh, familiar with it as, as you two are. I haven't watched an NFL Sunday or Tim Tebow lead the Broncos to a... A playoff berth at Miller's Ale House, or celebrated my birthday at Miller's Ale that's, House. That's true. That, a lot of my life <laughs> life milestones <laughs> took place in the Miller's on International Boulevard. Yeah, that was uh, the year Nebraska played out. One of the years they played out there was the year the Vikings won the game over the Packers, where Adrian Peterson almost got to 2,000 yards. I watched that at Miller's, so it has a special place here. It's good. It was a good game. It was a very exciting game. I uh, I thought he was going to score that touchdown and set the record. Yeah, the Vikings won yesterday. If we want to get the the Vikings stock out of the way here early, no. I think we just did. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Bruns? Uh, some. You want to talk Nebraska basketball? You want to talk Scott Frost? Stick with Frost. Okay. Uh, so let's go chronologically here um, and start yesterday with yesterday's press conference. Uh. I have to say I've never seen anything like that before with hundreds of people kind of gathered around, former players. Um, the cheering. Boosters, the cheering. Um, it, it had more the feel of a, a coronation than it did a, a press conference. It was 
it was weird, but at the same time, I think still pretty cool. What do you guys think? Yeah, it pretty much captured, I think, how the state was feeling in the room. You know, you had people actually, this was on the third floor of Memorial Stadium where we were at. And the fourth floor, there's kind of a balcony that over, overhangs. You can look down. And there are people hanging over the balcony watching Frost because they couldn't fit them all in there. And um, it was it was special because, you know, we've all followed this thing really closely and seen it up close and just how much the fans have hurt the last few years and especially this year watching how the football that was played. And it was like in a week's worth of time from the Iowa game, there was just a complete 180. Yeah, it. Uh, someone compared it to – watching the state of the union on on their television that's kind of how i felt initially when you had the rounds of applause after i think his first statement the opening statement a particular answer on one question i mean it it felt like a, a real sort of interactive experience that you know sometimes these things can be kind of boring in a way and, and this one certainly wasn't i uh i, I want to pose this to you guys early so we know definitively where we stand uh, am i wrong in assuming that scott frost has a little bit of a dry sense of humor that we can look forward to here or am i just getting on board with the fake laughs that medias are known for i, I think as as somebody who has drawn themselves i think scott frost is a fairly droll guy um not like tom osborne dry but like pretty close like I, I think uh i don't think he's gonna be you know mike riley with the media by any means but I, I think i think you're gonna have to be on your toes a little bit to uh watch out for that zinger every once in a while because it's it's coming out it's kind of like that left hook that you don't see coming in the middle of a fight you think the university will sponsor that at some point fontanelle hybrid zinger of the week that was your Midwest chiropractic zinger of the week. <laughs> They're very bad dogs. <laughs> zinger of the week. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was interesting just kind of you know listening to him talk, and it, it was funny. I mean, they he, he goes through this whole media thing. There's a photo op with them out on the football field, and there's probably about 25 cameras standing around in front of the tunnel, and he comes out and standing there with a the football helmet in his hand, and he's holding it takes photos for about 30 seconds and then just kind of does like, all right, all right, I think we're done here. And kind of like turns around and walks inside. Like it, it's, I, I don't know, like just the, I think that's going to be the way that he's going to approach a lot of things in terms of kind of turning things around. Here. He wouldn't even put the helmet on. No, no. Somebody asked and that was quickly uh, <laughs> stiff armed. He's, he's going to very quickly knock down the hype. His the own hype that he's created creating by his name he's going to knock away as as quickly as he can and it was interesting because i'm sure i mean he was just emotionally spent yesterday but he he got up on stage and everything that everybody saw in front of the camera like he was on he was ready for that and then when he got off away from the cameras you could tell you'd you'd, like he had used the last energy he had for that sort of thing and when we were talking to him on the side he was uh he was different and not in a bad way or anything. He was a little more testy with us, and he quickly let us know, don't don't uh, mess with his family, which I, I got to say something real quick about that. I think that's been overblown. I think, like, one TV person called his mom yeah, and 
some people are acting like people are staked out of this house all the time. This is not happening. And so people need to kind of get over that. But I agree with his sentiment and it's about him and what he can do here. Kind of that discussion about expectations I thought was interesting because you heard him say multiple times, like, look, we're going to lose games here. Um, Kind of, you know, knocking down expectations a little bit. I mean, everybody knows that, but do they? I feel like people will say that, but the reaction after a loss would suggest perhaps that's not the case. It just depends on who you lose to, how you lose. Right. If it's acceptable enough, if it checks all the boxes of a loss. There's optics to losing. they're still mad about it. There's optics to losing. But I, I think that him saying that, I think Bill Moose saying uh, in the press conference where Mike Riley was fired, kind of setting expectations for how this is going to go, I think is important because – I mean, while you have this coronation, at the same time you're taking over a four and eight football team who's going to be running a different offense, different defense, completely new coaches, new culture. I mean, that that's the other part of it is is you know Scott Frost needs to change the culture of Nebraska football, and that's not going to happen overnight. And I I, I was interested to see if he was going to try to kind of set the bar, so to speak, a little bit and, and lower the bar a little bit. I thought he did that. Um, or at least explicitly did that in the midst of all the fawning and emotion and ticker tape yesterday. Yeah, he didn't talk as much. He didn't really talk about championships. I mean, that was implied kind of, but it was more about unity. You know, it was all stressing that unity word, and that was a smart play by him. We talked about it before we even knew for sure who was going to get hired. This person had to come in and just be candid about, we're starting down here. You know, Nebraska football is hanging out with Minnesota and Purdue right now. If you got to be honest about that. And um, what what was interesting, though, also was, you know, I was looking over in the second row, and there's Gerald Foster and Stoltenberg, and they're leaned in, you know, like captivated by every word. And it was it was just so different than three years ago. And this part wasn't Mike Riley's fault, but you just felt like there were – Guys are like, I guess that's the coach, you know. I guess this is who we're playing for. This time, there was a vibe, even with those current guys who were up there. Like, yeah, I mean, the guys were just immediately enthused. And then you see DeMornay Pearson, who's not going to be here, was saying, I wish I had another year. And <laughs> Tommy Armstrong joking that he would pay to have another year in yeah, Nebraska? Yeah, it just – that hit it should be easy to get guys attention because those guys watch the game Saturday most of them they watch what we watch and they're like oh, that looks fun yeah it was it's interesting too I mean you kind of look at you know offensive style I, I, I think that that point is the biggest one where after Nebraska really just kind of struggled this year in a lot of ways on that side of the ball that 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 game against Memphis at least you know, offensively was a pretty good introduction to kind of what they're capable of doing. I mean, will they be able to? I don't know. But I don't think that there's going to be the same issue of buy-in and those kinds of initial issues that Mike Riley and his staff ran to. Part of that, I mean, is is they were coming off a nine-win season, I think kind of complicated things. But it seems to me like, like you said, I mean, to a man almost, people were pretty excited about what's going on. Well, and he he didn't – make it sound like it's going to be Disneyland either. I mean, basically said there's changes coming and guys are going to have to work. And he, I think he emphasized the word work a half dozen times throughout the the 40 minutes or whatever that 
the thing went for. And I think that's important because it's going to be a lot of work. And we talk about the culture. He's going to set it from the top down. And everything I understand about Scott Frost is that he likes working. Like he just he likes being involved and tinkering and working on things. And if, if he's the one setting that, and everyone else, I mean, his assistant coaches, the strength coaches, the team captains, the players, you got a guy that's working all the time. And not that the previous staff didn't work. But just the way that he's setting it and he views it and his demand of you uh, and his demand of where things are, I mean, I don't think you're going to have coaches going around him to do anything. It's going to start with him, and I think he kind of made that pretty clear. And the work is going to start with him, and it's going to be passed out, and everybody's going to be a part of it, and everybody's going to get a share of what happens. They, When he took over at UCF, I know that the one big thing that they really had to do as a staff was – I mean, they had discipline issues. They had a lot of issues with uh, guys getting in trouble, grade issues, compliance stuff. Like, it, they kind of had to chop through the weeds, so to speak, a little bit to really get that place to where they could turn it around coming from an 0-12 team. I mean, I, I think that there's not going to be as much heavy lifting with getting things back at Nebraska, but I, I think that you know, you're going to have to – make sure that you've got buy-in from guys because that's really what I think sabotages coaching changes a lot of time is, you know, you, you get 10 guys in the locker room who are kind of pulling their own way and or, or not bought in or, or whatever, and I, I think that's where you can get into trouble. And I, I think that that's going to be one key for this staff. And I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think they're going to have a lot of issues with guys you know, not being on board with the hire or whatever, but you really need to, to go into a program and take a pretty hard look at what's there, who's there, and, and how excited they are to be there to help you build that. I thought even just some of the small stuff that people haven't been talking about, like he met with the team, he told them, go home for Christmas. You know, not that they're not lifting weights and stuff like that, but I that's a good way to start with the team. It's just like, all right, I'm here. We got some work to do. Do your thing, refresh your battery, and then you come back and whoever wants to be a part of this and roll, we're going to roll and it's going to go fast. But I'm going to give you three or four weeks and there you go. Um, I like that. Um, of course, there was the every press conference, Nebraska press conference like this seems to have the one line. And if, I think the one line in this case was when it was asked if he's going to modify his offense. And, you know, he says the line about hopefully the Big Ten, you know, it's going to have to modify to us. And that, of course, Husker fans ate up. And I was also thinking about, like, folks in Iowa City and across the Big Ten, they're sitting there like, oh, Nebraska's talking big again, you know. And I, I understand that. Um, at this point, they, they've seen some of these Nebraska press conferences, and there's always some line where it's like, oh, here comes Nebraska, yeah. And so Frost definitely won the locals over with that, but that's a big line, too, that'll, you know, if they don't deliver, it'll get – spit back in your face and and i mean i think that that might be the safest thing that i can expect they're going to deliver mm -hmm. uh, not that the big 10 has to modify it to it but i think that offense within the first couple years they're going to have that pretty highly tuned and pretty finely tuned yeah uh, and have that thing ready to go well he hasn't for the most part in his career he just hasn't failed with that i mean they had some struggles his first year and at UCF on offense, but uh, he pretty much only knows success there, so he expects success.
Well, I think a large part of that, too, in that first year at UCF was they just didn't have a quarterback to, to run that system, which, I mean, that'll be, I'll be curious to see kind of what they do in the next few weeks to find somebody to really make sure they have somebody to run it. But, um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking after he said that, there's really not an offense in the Big Ten that they're going to see that that does the kinds of things that Nebraska does. I mean, Penn State with Moorhead did a little bit of some of the, some of the stuff that they do. They do um, a little bit Ohio State, but beyond that, I, I think it's going to be a pretty unique offense in terms of what teams are going to have to prepare for whenever they see Nebraska in the middle of their schedule. Certainly, in the Big Ten West, nobody's running anything remotely similar to it, and it has a chance to really confound some people, at least in terms of how do you protect all of these areas of the field? I mean, because that's what the, the basis of the offense is, is that you're running a lot of RPOs and you're trying to force the defense to decide whether they want to force you to pass or force you to run. And you take advantage of that area of the field based on their lineup. Yeah. And, and it has worked for a lot of teams to do it. Um, the, the big thing, and, and you mentioned it, is if you find a quarterback that can make that thing work, you're going to look really, really, really smart. I mean, McKenzie Milton is as big of a reason why Scott Frost is here in Lincoln today, I think, as anything else. Because, I mean, if he isn't as good as he's played this year and they go 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, that's a lot tougher to sell, even to Nebraska fans who really, really like Scott Frost. You'd be talking about a coach that's 13 and 12. It's a little bit different of a conversation. That's why this whole thing, I mean, there was always this thought like, oh, Frost and Nebraska are going to get together. But it has to work just perfectly. The confluence of things that created like, this. Like, it's so hard to do. Like, you don't, a lot of, there's a, a lot of times we talk about, oh, this coach is going to end up here. And it never happens. And it just so worked that Frost had this amazing season right when Nebraska implodes. Like think if think if Mike Riley goes eight and four, nine and three this year. Did you fire him? I don't I mean that would have been an interest that would have been an interesting decision. That we're getting into another hypothetical, but just the way the puzzle pieces fit and actually allowed the picture people thought of five years ago, that's pretty incredible to me. And that I think that's why people were so delighted. It's one of those times where you actually I thought, you know, a fan sitting there like I thought of this like four or five years ago, like him sitting there answering questions in a red tie, and he's actually doing it. It, it doesn't usually work like that. So those puzzle pieces coming together, I mean, how good of a job or, or I mean, how great of a last couple of months has Bill Moose had? I mean, he comes in in a, a real tough situation football-wise, stands pat, doesn't fire his head coach, and, I, I mean, some people say, oh, yeah, it's Scott Frost. Like, I could have gone out and hired Scott Frost. But I mean, the reality is is I, I, I think he played things pretty well, especially when you consider the absolute dumpster fires that are going on with coaching searches at other places. I think the important thing to remember is that anybody could have had Scott Frost as the number one coach on their list. But to have the personality and to have the resume that Bill Moose does – where you're someone that Scott Frost wants to work with, I think that's an important thing. Like, having a guy on the list and having him be a former alum certainly helps. But 
putting all of the tools in front of them, in front of them, the willingness to make the change, the willingness to attach yourself to this guy, the willingness to pay him big money to do this. Put yourself out there, and and Bill Moose was willing to do that. And I, I mean, I really don't want to sit here and say that he played this whole thing perfect, but I don't really know what else to say in that regard. I mean, people doubted the idea of firing or of not firing Mike Riley and letting him twist in the wind, however you want to phrase it. Bill Moose looks like a very smart man for doing that. People wondered if he could pull this off with UCF having the success of their season, if Nebraska would have to wait until January to really have a coach. They have one on December 1st. I mean, the the amount of, or December 2nd, I mean, the amount of ways that he played this whole thing, and you look at Tennessee, you look at Florida, you look at Herm Edwards and Arizona State, I mean, this could have been another disaster very easily. And Credit to Nebraska's administration for hiring Bill Moose in the first place. And a lot of credit to Bill Moose for putting together the plan. And I I can't imagine in my wildest dreams that when he was being interviewed, Bill Moose didn't lay out exactly how he saw this thing going. Because it's obvious to me that he saw this as the final point of that whole process. And he saw it through yesterday. Yeah, anyone who says Moose didn't matter in this, and there are some of them I've heard, didn't listen to Frost yesterday. Because Frost didn't want this job three years ago. I'm not saying if they had went really hard at him, you know, that's a whole different matter if it's actually in front of you. But I don't think he felt it with the previous athletic director nor the chancellor. And, you know, you got to give some credit to Moose and – Hank Bounds and Ronnie Green on this, that, that it all fell fell into place. So um, guys look at that. They look at that power structure, and they're like, do I want to be associated with this guy as the boss? Because we can look at a place like Tennessee or some place where they're struggling to find a good leader, and you just do not want to be a part of that. It's like any company. like You don't want to go somewhere where the, the guy with the glass office doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Because you know eventually it's going to unravel for you too. Yeah, and it's it, it was kind of interesting watching Bill Moose yesterday because you know he's up front, obviously very happy with the way things played out. Um, off to the side, he was going to talk to anybody. Like he was, he was really kind of eating yesterday. He up. was excited to meet some of these letter. I mean, I watched a Nebraska official try very hard to get Moose on time to this radio interview he had to do. And Moose wanted no part of it because there was hands to shake and there was people to talk to. And it was just like, stop here, stop here, stop here, stop here. I mean, it was, it was funny. Like, this guy wants to be with the people. You could tell he was very proud yesterday of, of how things went. Yeah, and, and especially I think it came up with Florida and Tennessee and kind of the struggles that they've had too. And uh, he didn't necessarily take a shot at him, but he was – a little bit. <laughs> he, he was kind of, you know, pointing out how differently things had gone at Nebraska versus, um, you know, Florida having to go to basically their third option, uh, Tennessee still coachless. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's, you know, for as many doubts as people kind of had, and I always think like, you know, how, how many people really know that much about athletic directors? I think that was a pretty good hire that, that Nebraska made and, and a guy that, you know, really kind of has has his stuff together. I mean, obviously, you never really know until you see how a coach pans out because, 
you know, great hires look great that first press conference, and then they, they can change. But um, in terms of just kind of playing what was a very complex coaching carousel season, I think Nebraska, you know, came out pretty well. Also, it's an, you know, understanding the coach you're going after and his personality. And, yeah, there are some coaches who probably want to be fanned with love and told, we need you, we need you, we need you. And he gathered from Davison really quickly. Frost isn't that dude. He's not that guy who's going to want you in his ear all the time while he's trying to coach a football season. Set up your meeting. Make your case. He'll make a decision. Chill out. And that's what he did. And sometimes that's speaking less helps you more, and that did in this case. Yeah, I think they did a nice job of using sort of Matt Davison as the as a go-between with the sort of almost daily being in frostier while Moose could kind of sit back and stay out of it to, to not seem overbearing. Yeah, it was, a, it was a smart play. So we got coaching salaries today. We got official assistant announcements. Um, I guess just continuing the chronological. Do we want to talk about the staff a little bit that we know that's here? I mean, we, we didn't run through some of that. We're basically looking at Mario Verduzco. As uh, the quarterback coach, these were all attached to positions, correct? I haven't had a chance to actually look at the email. They are. Ryan Held, running backs coach. Go on. So, Chinader, or Chinander, excuse me. I wanted to make sure I get that one down. Uh, Your defensive coordinator, um, Travis Fisher, defensive backs, Barrett Rude. Stafford quickly going to be a, a tenth assistant. Uh, <laughs> I was like, "Is that feedback?" Oh no, that's probably. <laughs> uh, Barrett Rude's going to be your, your tenth assistant when that rule changes in January. Uh, Jovan Dewitt, um, linebackers and special team outside linebackers and special teams. Greg Austin, offensive line. Am I forgetting anybody? Is that it? I think you got them. Seven, seven down. Rude's going to be an eighth. They need two more. Yeah, wide receivers. Some combination of wide receivers, tight ends, and offensive coordinators still mm-hmm. to be determined. What do you guys make of the staff? Were you surprised that everybody came along? No. I was. I mean, I, I I definitely was. And then when Frost talked about it, it kind of made sense as to why they they wanted to do this. I mean, one, they're getting paid more. And that's obvious. You're at a place with more resources. And it's, in a way, it's a promotion for a lot of these guys. I mean, you don't have a lot of Power 5 experience really any um of that group of assistant coaches there so for them it's a a call up to the big league so it makes sense as to why people chose to to go along with it i'll be curious what happens with the offensive coordinator i still think there's an outside shot that keith williams could end up as a wide receivers coach for nebraska but he went with the staff that he's comfortable with and frankly as i've said on the message board on radio interviews on this podcast you want to work with people you know you trust and you when things are difficult that you're going to be able to get the job done together. The other part of this, if you're an assistant coach thinking about, do I want to stay in Orlando or move on? There's about 10 to 12 coaches I'd say in college football who are like in that top tier where you're like, okay, um, that th- this is, this is the elite level. I want to be attached to them. And I'm not saying Scott Frost is there. He's not yet. He has a lot to prove, but they're probably looking at it as he could be. Maybe he is that guy. Maybe he's one of those 10 to 12 guys, and I am along, you know, in the passenger seat for this ride. That's 
that's great for those guys' career. Not not just what they can do at Nebraska potentially, but if you believe in a head coach, that's going to help you get promoted. It'll be a coordinator somewhere, or get a head coaching job of your own at some point. That's how I would think a lot of those guys look at it. Well, I think they probably look at a seven-year deal for a head coach and think that there's going to be at least some patience there. I mean, those guys are on multi-year contracts, but you know, with, with the way things can kind of change, I mean, when you see that kind of um, – dedication to a coach for seven years 35 million i mean that, that really kind of gets your attention a little bit and and these guys have have been together at various points i mean you've got some guys that were with frost at oregon uh a lot of northern iowa ties there as well i mean you know guys that came from ucf who had been at uh with the eagles with greg austin i mean it's there, there's a lot of connections in there where like you said these guys trust one another they've you know, gone through having to build from 0 and 12 to, to where they were this past year. So I, I, it always gives me a little bit of pause when you see a staff where you don't have a lot of um, power five experience. Cause you always kind of wonder, okay, well, you know, are, are these guys going to be able to recruit at a high enough level to make that jump? And I think that's something that we still will find out and need to see. But um you know, when you talk about guys like Ryan Held, who has junior college connections and has been very active already with junior college offers, I mean, that that's something that the previous staff didn't have. They didn't have somebody with those connections. so Or they didn't utilize the connections that they, they probably had with that. One thing I thought of, maybe it's as simple as this. If Scott Frost sees Tom Osborne as a role model, what bigger example of coach continuity can you come up with other than Tom Osborne? I mean, the man had the same staff for large, large chunks of his career, very minimal turnover. I mean, that's a guy that fully believes in keeping people together and continuity of coaches. You could easily see where somebody like Scott Frost is talking to, to, to Tom Osborne and simply saying, I'm making this move. I want to bring these guys. What do you think? Or just looking at how Tom's career played out. Yeah. There's a lot of revisionist history with Tom's staff, too. They're all famous around here. But, you know, guys like the late Dan Young and George Darlington, they're good coaches that, that Tom trusted. I don't know if they would have – if everybody else would have went their way, you know, looking for them to come to their school. But you, one guy believes in you and sees how you fit yep. in his puzzle, and it works out. The other little interesting detail – that came out today is that these guys are technically part-time. <laughs> this is just a technicality, but they're part-time assistants at Nebraska this month because they want to coach in that bowl game, which is an interesting sidebar here. UCF playing Auburn in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Day, which is a really entertaining matchup. And at first I was really down on the idea of Frost doing that, but I think it, I don't know. I'm not just saying this because they're doing it now, but as I looked at the dates, it kind of works because the dead period starts the 18th of December, goes through early January. There is a window where it can work. Am I wrong in thinking it's not? And and Nebraska is going to get free advertising for three and a half hours during that game. It, it's it's interesting. Like I I'm kind of with you where I, I think timing wise, I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, you'd obviously like to see those guys at least planning and doing things like that in Lincoln but I, I kind of wonder what like UCF's players are thinking because <laughs> yeah. you know you you basically you win this title everybody leaves like except that, the players that night the players are still there 
And the coaching staff says, hey, you know, we're, we're going to come back part-time and coach you in this bowl game. In the I biggest mean, game of your lives. Yeah. Like, on one hand, I can see, yeah, you know, one final ride, let's do this. At the, at the same time, I can also see where players would be like, no, we're good. Yeah. Like, you made your decisions. Stay oh, up man, there. If they elect a player coach themselves, they'd be the single greatest bowl game in the history of bowl. Games. It's just Sean Becton and Troy Walters. That's the entire <laughs> player staff. coaches. Yeah, like I'd be more interested. Varsity Blues. I'd say it's basically Varsity Blues. Um, Everything ties back to Varsity Blues. Yeah. The so I don't know. I, I I'll be curious to see the dynamic there and if Frost goes back because it, it sure sounded like yesterday. His role and everything was still kind of up in the air. Yeah, I am definitely the most outspoken against this, seemingly of anybody. I don't think it makes sense for either side. Uh, I can under, I definitely understand why, if you're Scott Frost or these assistant coaches, that you would want the finality of finishing this thing out. But as you make a good point with with those coaches. Uh, it's going to be awkward for the players. The whole thing is just it's not going to be particularly good. And then if you think about it, it's awkward for Troy Walters because it's like, oh, I'm interim coach. Oh, here's here's Scott Frost. Yeah. Uh, okay, Coach that, Frost, you you take over. Here's the whistle. Just let me know what I need to be doing over here. Whose resume does that win-loss go on? See, that's a good question, too. <laughs> is it is Frost... He's eighteen and seven right now. Does that count toward his, or is it Troy Walters getting his first uh, markup? That's very fair. And I always wonder things like that. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the the bigger point of the two is that you agree to a seven year, thirty five million dollar deal at Nebraska. Your focus needs to be on Nebraska. It, it just needs to be like you don't get this victory lap. That's why you agreed to a five million dollar job. That's why your assistants are making near double their salary. Like you agree to this because your focus is now whatever you can do, however you can do it, is making Nebraska better. And you're not making Nebraska better with this game. And the idea that this is going to be a three-hour infomercial about Nebraska is irrelevant to me because what recruits are watching the Peach Bowl? This isn't the playoff game. This game doesn't matter to anyone outside of the fan bases of UCF or Auburn recruits aren't going to be watching on pins and needles about the result of this game. It's just going to be, if it's on and there's not another game that's better, maybe they're going to be watching it. And so because of that, I don't like all of the, the arguments for it. I don't understand any of it, but again, I mean, I, I fully acknowledge I'm by far the most outspoken that thinks that this is sort of ridiculous. And I understand that I'll probably die on that hill um, but I'm okay with that. I wonder if it's a simple numbers game, though. Usually in these cases, a guy takes like three, four guys with him. He's taking eight guys. Right. There's just nobody left behind to coach yeah. this team. I mean, that it's. I think it's probably as simple as that. I mean, you, you could. I have. There have been situations where occasionally you get the next coach in there, and he just takes over. But that's really rare too. Yeah, because most of the time the coach doesn't want that either. Yeah. So I, I have to I have to think that's a big part of it. Basically, there's Troy Walters and a couple grad assistants left, and there was probably a conversation with Danny White and Frost, like, look, if you're taking everybody, you're probably going to have to coach this game for us, you know. 
I, I got to think that might just be part of it. Well, the funny part is, is in 2002, before that Independence Bowl, when Nebraska cleared out their defensive staff, Frost came in for like three weeks. and Coach Fabian Washington. Coach Fabian Washington <laughs> and the defensive backs against Eli Manning. But it's I'm just imagining these scenarios. So where Frost is technically 0-1 as a coach at Nebraska. They, they had – Not the head coach. E- even a fake punt by Judd Davies wasn't going to save him that <laughs> night. It's a tough – We was really a, need to, in the summer, just do a ranking of worst fakes in Nebraska history. We called the heck out of that, by the way. There were some crappy special teams play in that Iowa game. Yeah, we got a lot of props for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, so then UCF hires – do they hire somebody who's not Troy Walters? Then you have, like, the new head coach hanging around the office. Do you have interim head coach Troy Walters still there coaching the bowl game with – previous scott frost it's like kind of like the the premise of like a really crappy like 80s sitcom or something like that spending a lot my, of slapstick humor my three coaches or something this is a test of frost ability to i mean we, we talk about how he's got a good deal here where the culture should be better than it was for riley this is an interesting test for him to go back there somehow give one humdinger of a speech to get those guys like all on the same page that are doubting him and Rowing the same way. Do you think he steals the Gene Hackman Hoosier speech? Of, well, I guess it wasn't even Gene Hackman. It was one of the players on the team. Win one for all the kids that couldn't be here. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, This I, is your team. I was thinking you are going to go with the, like, oh, this, this is your is team. team. <laughs> it, it, was, it would be interesting to me, though. Like it, your, your point about the Peach Bowl, I think, is a strong one, that there's probably not going to be a ton of people outside of Lincoln – or Nebraska well, generally, a bunch of people in Lincoln, UCF or Auburn really tuned into that game. Maybe I'm wrong. At the same You're time, let's say UCF goes a, a UCF team led by Scott Frost goes out and hangs like 60 on Auburn. Like that's going to look pretty good going across the scroll. Like, yeah, there's a risk of it going the other way too. Yeah. I think. <laughs> but uh, well, have you seen that defense? Yeah. It is an early – it's the early game on New Year's, so it's that game where people are waking up hungover and they don't really know what the score is till the second quarter. But, uh, yeah, you know what? It is actually it is one of the most entertaining bowl games, though. I know it's at a bad time, but I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by it it's good. It's, for more reasons than just Frost. But Is it, like, relegated to, like, ESPN2? Is this game? Yeah. No, this is one of the New Year's Six games, so it's like they're – it's a big deal on their broadcast. It's like it's the main ESPN channel, but I don't know. I, I would take Auburn given the circumstances with Central Florida, but – What if they come out and just absolutely hate? I shouldn't say that because Frost, we, one of the guys out there out west – tweeted how when Frost and Oregon beat Florida State in that semifinal game, I think it was Ted Miller, one of the writers out there, he had picked uh, Florida State and Frost gave him crap about it on the elevator. I'm sure he's not listening. I I think that's probably, I I think that's like we said, you got to watch out for the zinger. There's a, last year you had Wisconsin versus Western Michigan, which would be a fairly close example. Five point, Four or five million watched that game, which is way higher. It's a lot of recruits. Way higher than I would have guessed. I don't know if it's a lot of recruits, but just a lot more people than I would have ever suspected watching that. I think it's one of the five most interesting bowl games, but that's for another time. We can 
rank those at some point. Should we segue to recruiting? Speaking of recruits. We could segue to recruiting. Do you have a segue? Uh, let's talk about recruiting. <laughs> one out of five. It's a uh, one-star segue <laughs> right there. Um, Mike, would you like to update us on what the last 36 hours have been like on the recruiting trail for Nebraska? Very busy. Uh, they've got upwards of more than 20 offers since taking over Saturday night. They had six offers that went out Saturday night, which I thought was particularly impressive and showed the sort of forward thinking that Scott Frost has. It also, again, tells me that this was not any sort of late impromptu back-and-forth decision. They had a plan. They executed that plan. The first offer that went out was to a four-star quarterback, Adrian Martinez, uh, who Nebraska has a, a fair chance of getting. He's committed to Tennessee, who doesn't have a coach at this point. He's looking Still. at – Still. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how many podcasts we're going to do without <laughs> Tennessee having a coach, but we're at four right now. Did, didn't we make predictions last week about who the coach was going to be? We might have. I don't think anybody selected none. <laughs> <laughs> um and so they uh, real smart offer with Adrian Martinez, and then they hammered the running back spot, which I think is going to be real interesting as to who they can get there. Because if you look at what Nebraska doesn't have on this roster right now, it's somebody that's a home run hitter that really kills teams in those run pass options kind of plays. And I think if they can get a couple of those speed guys, particularly the ones out of Florida that Ryan Held offered pretty early on, I mean, they could be dangerous or early in their careers. Uh, it's just you combine that with then you have an every down back that's hitting you up the middle. And it, that offense is a lot of fun to watch. I know that I, I want to say it was even on this podcast we discussed whether you'd rather have a really good defense with a bad offense or a really good offense with a bad defense. Now I kind of want to change my answer again because I kind of had a blast Saturday just watching – the formation sets and what they were doing. To, and Memphis, too. I mean, Memphis was a lot of fun to watch. So um, it, that jumped out to me. They went, went after a pass rusher, uh, Juco players. I mean, and then it just continued from that. I mean, yesterday you had even more offers. You had your first 2019 offer. That didn't get enough publicity, and in part because the focus is on 2018. But they, they made a very interesting defensive end 2019 offer to a guy who likes to go by Rambo for a name. I mean, that tells you he's got – really a great career ahead of them because if you can you can pull off Rambo you're probably tough in my opinion I, I might be on an island with that take but no, I they, think you got they've just done a nice yeah. job <laughs> I, I died like, alone on that hill. recruiting wise and uh, they had three offers for Juco guys out of Arizona Western I mean I can't think of a position they haven't hit yet at this point and of course I mean a lot of the talk is going to be what do they do at quarterback and who is that ultimately going to be and how many were there any – so obviously they're having to kind of hit the ground running here. Were there any of the offers or areas of focus that surprised you initially? No. Um, and uh, we kind of talked about this not on the pod, but I, it makes sense that they're spending so much time in Florida because that's where they've spent the entire cycle recruiting. And so that's where their connections are going to be. That's where their best evaluations are going to be. And then they're going to branch out from that. At least that's how I see this going. And they've gotten a pretty good reception. Now, how that reception holds up at those kids visit here in December or January, and it's cold and it's far from home, you never know. But I think that at least initially, it's pretty calculated and pretty smart to, hey, all these guys we've been talking to all year that showed some interest but probably weren't coming to UCF, 
we're at, you know, somewhere new and we're still the same guys. So they, I, I think it was very smart what they've done on this whole thing. And I, I admit to being a little bit skeptical of how quickly this thing was going to start uh, with all of my sort of tirades about this bowl game and what that would mean with what they're going to do recruiting. They've gotten off to a very fast start. It hasn't led to commitments yet, but I think they've got visits lined up and I'm impressed. I mean, I, I really am. That's not cynical or sarcasm. I, I'm very impressed by what they've done. Brian, you talked to Bryson Williams last night, who got the first in-home visit from Scott Frost and Barrett Rude. What what was kind of your impressions from that conversation and kind of where things stand and a, a bit of a complicated situation there with a the local kid? Yeah, my first biggest takeaway, which I was stunned by, was that he got called by Frost a few hours after the game Saturday. So, I mean, that's really showing a kid like, hey, we want you, buddy. And then you show up at his house the next day after your press conference with Rude, fellow Lincoln Southeast Knight, and talk to him for an hour. I don't think it's going to be an easy flip for them because Bryson Williams is not your typical kid who grew up here his whole life. He lived in Illinois from age 2 to 14. And I he's committed to Wisconsin. And I, I, just, I just got the impression that he'll think about it and he's really impressed that Frost and those guys came to his house, but I don't think it was just like, okay, I'm changing. You know, I, they're going to have to really work at that one. So, and that, that's quite, that's that's something by Frost because I mean, if if they if they swing and miss, some people would be like, whoa, how they how they miss on a Lincoln kid because they won't put it all together that this isn't a guy who didn't grow up here his whole life. So it's a it's a little bit of a risk actually. I think it's pretty smart. Because you back up everything that you said on Sunday with you're going to go after in-state kids. And I think people can at least realize with Bryson Williams, he's got a really great situation with Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, the other thing about all the stuff that just happened recruiting-wise the last 48 hours, it's just just really savvy and understanding. If if you make an offer to a kid the day or day after you just took a job, that tells a kid a lot. I mean, if I'm a recruit and a coach does that, that kind of blows my mind. Like, hey, this guy's the one coach who's been on the bottom of my ticker on Saturday, and he's calling me and offering me. That's that's the advantage of all this happening right away as opposed to even waiting till Tuesday or Wednesday to get some of these offers out. I, th- I think there's, there's just a connection there where you can really – strike right away off of that game and all the attention that was on frost and it's useful the with the two weeks kind of leading up to the dead period do do they have to have their quarterback by that first signing period do you think i think that it would be ideal for them to have somebody who's coming in in january that they can put up with patrick o'brien and and tristan jebbia and potentially Tanner Lee, who was in the room the entire day on on Sunday, but then was smart enough to sneak out before anybody could interview him. It's a veteran very, move. Very wise by Tanner Lee. There was, there was at least one person sitting at this table right now that was trying to get over there and then lost sight of him because he had ducked out before the end of it. But uh, I, I really do think they should have at least one, um, maybe two. I, I think two might be harder to pull off because if you're – you get one kid that's committing and, and rolling. It's going to be kind of hard to get another quarterback who wants to do the same thing. 
So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. But I, I think they need to take as many assets as possible and throw them into the mix and just figure it out when they're at practice. I mean, run their four stations or whatever it is, and whoever's the best is the best, and you move on from it. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody who gets an offer or signs in December with the idea of coming in January is going to be promised a single thing. I think it's all going to be out there that they've got this opportunity in front of them and they need to run with it. Braun says no thoughts. I mean, I just left him utterly speechless. Was, I'm kind of speechless myself. It was amazing what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. I'm it's almost as amazing as the here. Vikings defense. Very good defense. They shut down the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You got you got to like smack us on the head. We kind of no. You're fine. Drift into our. I my skull favorite talk. part of yesterday was <laughs> game casting the Vikings Falcons game. Us like sort of being loud about what we were doing, and then looking over at a very annoyed Brunt. Yeah, just shaking his head at us like a parent kind of dr- in the driver's seat. We're in the back seat of the car. You wanted to pull over. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, you guys have seen the offers that have gone out. You know who they're relatively interested in. Do you have any early predictions for who could be the first person to say yes to the Scott Frost Nebraska era? Actually, you know, there's one thing we haven't touched. Let's, let's hold on this real quickly. Have you seen any sort of reactions out of commits that have you alarmed, concerned, anything like that with the guys that are already in the class? Not really. I mean, Joshua Moore has been pretty quiet. He's not talking to anybody. Right. I have that on pretty good authority from the other people in the the 24-7 network. So, you know, I I think that, you know, that's something that to to monitor. I mean, Cameron Juergens is getting attention from LSU, but I find it hard to believe that he's going to end up anywhere but Nebraska. I mean, I just when you have a class of nine guys, and I believe they're down to eight now. Yeah, um, sorry. I, I think that you know there's there's not a lot of room to to really change there. So I I, I don't know. Like I don't know what would really surprise me. Like I, I don't know that there's a lot of guys that are that I would say are definitely I looking mean, to move off. A lot of people that prediction. lost their their position coach. Um, in this transition, I know that's been a concern. And then, obviously, Cameron Brown um, is somebody that the longer this goes without a wide receiver coach, the harder it's going to be to keep him in the fold with Ohio State potentially lurking in the shadows. So he's someone to, to kind of keep an eye on as well. And But I think, you know, you, you hit on it. Largely, I think there's been excitement from, from people, certainly from Tate Wildeman, uh, who – very excited about this defense and Scott Frost in general. He told me that he doesn't have a visit set up yet, but he's working on trying to figure out when he wants to be able to get out there. And I think Nebraska is going to retain Wildeman. I mean, other than Wildeman and Brown, I don't know who else is would be the biggest concern. I know May Pugh is a little upset about John Perella. And, um, you know, there's guys waiting to get their phone calls, but – for the most part, I, I do think they'll be able to hang on to the majority of those guys. He's such an it coach right now. I just can't see where if you're 18 years old, you're like, oh, I don't want to. Your curiosity would get the best of you. You just want to be like, I want to see what this is all about. 
I mean, what's the what's the big deal here? I want to see it up close. I, 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 I'm actually I do wonder about a couple of the guys who left if they could wander back, but it seems like that could be a difficult challenge. It just depends on how Nebraska approaches it. I mean, they it, might not have an interest, yeah. right? And frankly, if they've got most of the guys that have left that you'd have interest in bringing back or have the best shot at bringing back or defensive backs, which is something they def- definitely need. But I haven't seen anything to suggest that, that Travis Fisher is going to worry about Chase Williams or Mario Goodrich or even Brendan Radley Hiles. Well, you got to go after the guys that you've built connections yep. with. And in a lot of ways, that's just being smart. It's like I haven't spent enough time with this particular person it's going to be too yep. difficult now to make it all up when others have. I I got to go with what I I've been chasing. A lot of this, when you're on a short time crunch, is figuring out best ways to not waste time. Yep. I mean to to maximize what you have, mm-hmm. and I, I think in all three of those instances, you're better off riding them off somewhere else than you are chasing the wind. Yeah, we've seen that before, where a coach spends five six hours one day or whatever it takes to get somewhere and when you look back at it i've sometimes shook my head like eh, that wasn't worth it all right well hopefully people don't feel like they've spent five or six hours <laughs> wasting their time brunts has <laughs> a final a thought is it uh i like that yeah that was a good that was a good segue <laughs> i was trying to that was a, at you, least a three-star segue no, that, that was, was like, you're, you're trying to get us out is that what you're no, doing it's like I, a low I four to show you how it was done instead of this now Schaefer's going to talk about recruiting that was a low four star at least uh is it prediction time Yes, Tennessee's coach. Who will be <laughs> Tennessee's coach when we get together for the next podcast? Uh, assuming that it's the normal Wednesday and or Thursday, who will be leading the Vols at that point? Or will they have one? Serious answer here. Now, I'm not going to say Ben McAdoo. <laughs> he is available. <laughs> there, there's an amazing tweet about how Ben McAdoo, when he starts with the Giants... Yeah. Looks like a normal father, and then Ben McAdoo, at the end of his Giants regime, looks like the divorced dad who's dating a 27-year-old. Named Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. Terrific. <laughs> terrific tweet. So. Nonetheless. That was, I, I had – people needed to know that existed. Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, Jeff Fisher is still out there in my prediction last week, I believe. Um, sounds like that's probably not going to come to fruition I'm going to... I thought Jeff Fisher was my prediction last week. Was it? I can't remember. I, I, I remember thinking that was a pretty good prediction. Yeah. Because then we talked about well, his dog. You guys gave me dog. crap that he couldn't go 7-9. and nine. That's right. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to say it, it, they're, they're going to get down to T. Martin, and that's going to be the guy. It's not a bad pick. Has, has Have they tried for Guy Morris? Uh, I don't... Chad Morris? Chad Morris, I'm sorry. Who's Guy Morris? He former was, former Baylor, Baylor coach. Yeah, he was a Baylor coach. Was, <laughs> <laughs> they might have to try for Guy Morris. That's bad. I believe Guy Morris passed. Is oh, that I'm true? Sorry. Stats department to work on that. So uh, <laughs> if not Guy <laughs> Morris, then then who are you saying? Yeah, look up Guy Morris. We don't want to that on our heads. Um, Chad Morris is who I was thinking of. Chad Morris, SMU. They coach. might have to go after Guy Morris. Uh, Wikipedia says that Guy Morris is, in fact, the coach at Lex- Lexington Christian Academy. So yeah, he's still up there. He's out there. He's probably like number six on the list right now. Yep. Yeah, he, he had a terrible go of it at Baylor. I'll say. How long was he at Baylor? 
2003 to 2007, and he was always a Big Ten telecom or Big Twelve teleconference All Star. I have to say, back in the day. In what sense? Very Southern drawl. Who was asking him questions? They were terrible during this time. Somebody, <laughs> some whoever, poor guy at Waco Tribune. Yeah, whoever was playing Baylor that week. <laughs> I don't know. A, so the DN was a DN asking him questions. <laughs> Just to hear that sweet syrupy drawl. Is Chad Morris uh, is he a legit candidate or did I pull out him out of my? Uh, they discussed him. I believe he's a candidate at uh, Arkansas as well. At yeah. That. Okay, I'll go with Chad Morris and then uh, like as a backup, Jason Candle because they're getting to that like point. Okay. I would think Jason Candle would be a pretty solid win for them at this point That's with cool. the way that the is that your guy the thing has played out. I'm going to switch my prediction of Fisher. And I am going to go with the nation's first athletic director-coach combo, <laughs> Philip Fulmer doing both jobs for a year <laughs> as they continue this search. Because there's too much bad pub. Nobody wants it now. Fulmer's going to get his hands dirty, coach this team, maybe even bring in John L. Smith as an interim <laughs> coach involved in this whole thing. And then they're going to target 20, uh, 20 – 17 or 2018 November as to when they're going to lock things up. You're going to call your shot on the second time around on the coaching search? You got a guy? Uh, no, not yet. I'm going to say T. Martin or, or Mike Norvell. I, I, I think those are my two guys. I, I think they're going to. Yeah, well, isn't. I think they're going to settle on. Norvell it. signed an extension. Yeah, Tennessee doesn't care. They think they got money. <laughs> they didn't want to pay Matt Campbell I think money. Of the envy. Barry Alvarez would have looking on as Philip Fulmer did that for a full season. Man. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I, Don't you kind of want this to happen? I, I would be entertained. I, I really, know you're a big John L. Smith guy. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that I am a huge John L. Smith guy. He's always my default answer in coaching searches for who I would target immediately. If, if there's ever a coaching change or some sort of scandal in the middle of the spring, I'm getting a John L. Smith text from Brunts within minutes of it being released. Here's a question. Do you see John L. Smith coaching in the Peach Bowl for UCF? Does something <laughs> weird happen where there's an interim interim and it's John L. Smith? <laughs> and we're completely off the rails here. Yeah, we, we definitely, I mean, a lot of John L. Smith to finish this podcast. But I think it was worth it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like we, we really closed strong. All right, well, when we come back to you here in a few days, perhaps Nebraska has a new commitment. Perhaps they have made double the amount of offers of what they're already at at this point. Perhaps some of us will have gotten sleep by this next podcast. But if not, we look forward to bringing you the same great stuff that we have for the last 48 hours plus at nebraska.247sports.com, where this month, well, I shouldn't say this month, right now, this minute, you can go there and get yourself two months for the price of one. A lot of people have been signing up. Great opportunity to get in on all of the information going through at nebraska.247sports.com.